Welcome to a special Christmas episode of Cooking with Italian Accent. There isn't a better time to be in Siena than now, during Christmas time, following the trail of spices, paying attention to the colors and to the ingredients of the baked goods arranged in the shop windows of bakeries, cafes and pastry shops. The Tuscan pastry art isn't show-stopping, elegant, refined or elaborate, as you would say of the French patisserie or even of the southern Italian pastry art of Sicily and Naples that was influenced by the domination of the Arabs and the Spaniards. The Tuscan pastry art is seasonal, it is related to cucina povera and it shows a lasting influence of medieval and renaissance ingredients. In today's special Christmas episode, we are going to talk about the Tuscan desserts, Tuscan sweet treats, including those that are typical of these festive times. Before this new special episode, I would love to thank you for your precious support. I'm touched by your comments, humbled by your feedback, happy to know that this podcast brings some peace, inspiration and practical advice. If you want to stay updated, as not to miss a single episode, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to a podcast, and share Cooking with Italian Accent with your friends. This will help us to be more visible so that new people can discover us and share the same passion for Italian food. Finally, remember that you will find all the links to the recipes we mentioned today in this episode's show notes. And don't forget to visit juleskitchen.com for new stories and recipes from Tuscany. And now, let's start! Ciao! My name is Giulia Scarpaleggia and I'm a Tuscan-born and bred country girl, a home cook, a food writer and a photographer. I teach Tuscan cooking classes in my house in the countryside and I've been sharing honest, reliable Italian recipes for 10 years now through my cookbooks and my blog, JulesKitchen.com. If you love everything about Italian food, big crowded tables and seasonal ingredients, join us and follow this podcast, Cooking with an Italian Accent. My name is Giulia Scarpaleggia, and you are listening to a special Christmas episode of Cooking with an Italian Accent. Let's start with the first aspect that really characterizes Tuscan desserts. So the Tuscan pastry art is seasonal. It is strongly connected to seasons and seasonal ingredients, to festivities, celebrations, pagan and religious events. You know when you are in the year from the sweet treats displayed in the shop windows. Tuscan women knew how to use what they had in the house and in the pantry. Our bread dough, so versatile as it is made without salt, was gradually enriched with what was seasonal and what was in the pantry. The extra virgin olive oil was always there, as well as lard, a handful of sweet raisins and a hint of spices. Let's start with September, the beginning of the new year for me, and with schiacciata con l'uva. Uh, in September, a few spoonfuls of sugar and grapes are added to plain bread dough to make a schiacciata that is traditionally associated to harvest. Along with grapes, they would add also any seeds or rosemary or walnuts. So basically simple bread dough, grapes, the baking became jammy and what was available, spices or nuts. In the past, this schiacciata was simply a portion of bread dough from the week's baking to which sugar and grapes would be added. So it was then baked in the 
baker's large wood fire oven and it was a way to test the heat inside. My grandmother always tells me that this was one of her favorite afternoon snacks and it's also one of my favorite afternoon snacks. What is most important is to use wine grapes or Concord grapes with seeds inside because they add a crunchy note, which is probably the most charming characteristic of this ghiacciata. After September, we go to the late October to mid-November when there's the arrival of Panko Santi, which is a Tuscan sweet fragrant bread stuffed with raisins and walnuts. Its name derives from an association with All Saints Day on November the 1st. So what you have inside of Panko Santi, it is sugar, walnuts, raisins, red wine, black pepper, extra virgin olive oil, and rosemary. It is a delicious bread that I like fresh, just baked, or even after a few days, you can toast it and spread with butter and jam. This is not Tuscan. I mean, it's not a typical uh, way you would eat Panko Santi, because you usually have Panko Santi with some sweet wine, but it is probably my favorite way of having Panko Santi. That's why every year I feel the urge to bake Panko Santi. Let's skip Christmas. We will talk about Christmas later with plenty of details and recipes. And let's go directly to Carnival and to the alternation of feasting and fasting, which is very characteristic of a food culture strongly related to religion as well. The first thing that comes to my mind when I think about carnival are cenci. Cenci are sweet dough flavored with orange peel and vinsanto that is rolled out very thinly, just like with fresh pasta, and then they are fried into hot olive oil. As soon as the cenci are fished out of the hot oil, they are dusted with icing sugar and sprinkled with sugar. Every family in Italy has its own recipe, along with a special and different name for this carnival fried dough. Uh, as they are really a cross-cultural element. You might have encountered them as cenci, chiacchiere, bugie, frappe, crostoli, galani, lattughe, so a hundred different names for the same delicious recipe. Along with cenci, we had to talk about frittelle di riso, rice fritters. In Tuscany, the rice fritters used to be made just for St. Joseph on the 19th of March, which is also when we celebrate Father's Day in Italy. Now they are common also for carnival, probably under the influence of the tons of fritters that are fried in Italy for carnival. They are different in Florence and in Siena. In Florence they are deliciously sweet on the outside and the inside, and you can still recognize the rice grains. Usually there are raisins in them. They are made with egg, sugar, milk, so they are very rich, almost custard inside, and they are very sweet. In Siena, it's a street food. There's no sugar, no milk, and the rice is almost fermented. There's a very delicate hint of orange that makes them irresistible. Inside the stall, the pastry chefs fry relentlessly huge amounts of fritters into giant pans that are placed over those that seem like ancient cauldrons. They drop the fritters one by one into the steaming hot oil with such an incredible speed given by the experience and by the long queue of people waiting for their turn. So in the case of rice fritters in Siena, they are sprinkled with sugar on the outside, very crisp and melt in your mouth inside, but not at all sweet inside. Another carnival treat is schiacciata fiorentina. Despite its name that reminds of the savory flatbread so typical of all the bakeries, Schiacciata alla Fiorentina is a sweet cake 
fragrant with orange and vanilla. During carnival time, it appears in every bakery, pastry shop and bar in Florence. It is dusted with icing sugar with a cocoa powder Florence lily on the surface. And now it is increasingly served sliced in half and filled with whipped cream or crema, which is pastry cream. At the beginning, the schiacciata was just bread dough and rich with lard. So just remember, carnival always falls in the period when the pig is traditionally slaughtered. So lard was there, ready to be used. Then it was made even more special by adding sugar, vanilla and oranges. So recognizable in the cake where you use both the grated peel and juice. Carnival was in fact the last chance to indulge in the pleasures of food and life before Lent. It was a time in which everyone was allowed to break religious and social conventions. After the feasting of Carnival with Cenci, Fritelli di Riso and Schiacciata Fiorentina, there comes Quaresima, Lent, which is the time of fasting, when meat and animal fat were not allowed. So the period between Carnival and Easter is an unusual one. Traditionally during Lent, the foods which you eat change. It's a time for spiritual reflection, which should prepare you for Easter through giving things up and purification. Throughout Italy, the traditional recipes during this time exclude all meat and animal fats, instead introducing fish and vegetables. The ingenuity of housewives, of men and women of faith, brought to the creation of sweets offered during Lent, biscuits known throughout Italy as Quaresimali. In Florence, right after Fat Tuesday, Schiacciata alla Fiorentina gives way to Quaresimali, which then quickly disappears from bakeries and pastry shops on Holy Thursday, replaced by Pan di Ramerino. What intrigued me at first was the shape of Quaresimali. They are biscuits made from egg whites, sugar and flour, with the addition of hazelnuts and cocoa, orange zest and sometimes a pinch of cinnamon. They take the shape of letters of the alphabet. They have a glossy surface and are cracked and rough underneath. Some say they were invented in a convent in between Florence and Prato in the mid-19th century. They were biscuits for nobility and for archbishops. They were free of animal fats and made sweeter by adding a small amount of cocoa. It also seems that the usual shapes are a reminder of scriptures. They fall perfectly in line with the announcement of the gospel and the coming of Easter. I mentioned Pan de Ramerino. Well, it was made and eaten just during the Holy Week before Easter. Now it is possible to purchase and enjoy Pan de Ramerino in many Florentine bakeries throughout the year. But years ago, it was on sale just for Holy Thursday, when it was brought to be blessed to the church. Its very appearance, a soft bun carved with a cross, recalls this tradition. It could have been to bless the bread or to help the rising process. It could have been made for faith or for superstitions, but this is the form that has been passed down from generation to generation. I love the soft buns of Pan di Ramerino. I love the raisins. I love the rosemary, the Ramerino. I love how shiny and sticky they are. And I love the fact that you can have Pan di Ramerino as a sweet treat, but also as bread that goes with something uh, smoked, for example, salmon, or with a chicken liver spread. So they are very versatile and delicious. And you can find the recipe on the blog. And here we are with the last recipe that really explains how seasonal the Tuscan pastry art is. 
and it is schiacciata di Pasqua. It is different from schiacciata alla Fiorentina, that was a carnival treat. This is made for Easter. So Easter in Siena and in Valdelsa, where I am, means schiacciata di Pasqua. It is a leavened bread flavored with rose petal syrup and anise, which takes its name not from the shape, because schiacciata is a flatbread whose name means squashed, but from the large amount of eggs smashed, schiacciate, in its preparation. When I make my schiacciata, I use a ton of eggs, any seeds, mint rosolio, and usually I like to have a slice of schiacciata at the end of the Easter meal with a wedge of chocolate egg. So let's move to the second part of this talk about Tuscan desserts, and it's the strong relationship in between Tuscan pastry art and cucina povera, the peasant cooking. The ingredients that best represent this relationship are chestnuts and chestnut flour. When people had to struggle to source food for the family, chestnuts support the local population with their calorie supply and their versatility. The chestnut flour, also called sweet flour, farina dolce, is one of the key ingredients in Tuscany's peasant and mountain cooking traditions, from Garfagnana and the Pistoiese mountains to the Mugello and the Mount Amiata. And it's important also in baking and in making desserts and sweet treats. Chestnut flour is the main, actually the only ingredient required to make Necci, there are thin pancakes with crisp edges belonging to the Garfagnana and the Pistoia mountains, nothing more than simple crepes made just with chestnut flour and water. They can be eaten plain or filled with savory ingredients such as sausage or pancetta or a fried egg, but even sweet. In this case, a good spoonful of ricotta turns them into a poor mountain people's sweet treat or even into a humble and unpretentious afternoon snack. If you have a sweet tooth, consider adding a pinch of icing sugar, some chocolate chips or candied orange peel to make a delicious treat that is actually gluten-free because chestnut flour is without gluten, so the necci are naturally gluten-free. And this is precisely the awesomeness of Cucina Povera, that it's at the same time ancient, traditional, but also charmingly modern. Along with necci, castagnaccio is another ancient, traditional recipe. A dessert that speaks about the Tuscan peasant woman's triumph over poverty and hunger. The simple version of castagnaccio involves a basic mix of chestnut flour, water, olive oil and rosemary, resulting in a cake which is almost biting, uh, with smoky flavor and a texture similar to bread pudding. And yet castagnaccio is in some ways a surprisingly modern dessert. It contains no sugar and it is naturally gluten-free and lactose-free. More elaborate versions call for dried fruit and raisins to be added, along with its fundamental ingredient, of course, chestnut flour. Its name derives from castagna, the Italian word for chestnut. As castagnaccio is an acquired taste, I always suggest to serve it with some ricotta and maybe a drizzle of honey to make it more approachable. But since we are in the festive time of the year, I can also suggest you to make castagnaccio sandwiches. It is a recipe you can find on the blog. Very simple, you make a castagnaccio, you cut two discs of castagnaccio and then you sandwich them with some ricotta that you have previously whipped with some icing sugar and then enriched with 
orange peel, um, chocolate chips, and even some rosemary, orange zest. It is very simple, very nice to see. And you can finish that with a, a dusting of icing sugar and makes it perfect for Christmas. Another aspect of the relationship in between the Tuscan pastry art and Cucina Povera is the use of vegetables in cakes because they would cook and bake with seasonal ingredients and use whatever was abundant in a certain moment of the year. Let's start with pumpkin pie, for example. Pellegrino Artusi, the father of the Italian cuisine and the author of La Scienza in Cucina e l'arte di mangiar bene from the 1891, has a recipe for torta di zucca gialla, which is Italy's version of the American pumpkin pie. The pumpkin is grated and cooked in milk, then mixed with sugar, finely chopped almonds, butter, breadcrumbs, eggs, and cinnamon. And finally, the butter is baked into a thin, moist, pudding-like cake. Another cake that uses vegetables as its main ingredients is scarpaccia via regina, that is also known as torta dell'orto or vegetable garden cake. This thin, moist cake filled with tender young zucchini and the fragrance of basil is a traditional cake from the coastal town of Viareggio, which is in the northern part of Tuscany. It was traditionally baked by old sailors with zucchini from their vegetable garden. Now, come summertime, when zucchini flood the market stalls and overtake backyard gardens, the locals still turn to this beloved regional recipe. Its name is very funny. It refers to his homely appearance. Scarpaccia means something like large and ugly shoe, as the cake is flat and about the thickness of an old shoe. And then there's a third cake made with vegetables, and this is probably the most unusual one. This is torta coi becchi. It is a Swiss chart cake from the walled town of Lucca. It is a shrine of shortcrust pastry dough with a filling of cooked down Swiss chard and milk-soaked breadcrumbs. This cake was born thanks to the locals' knowledge and expertise about the many herbs that grow spontaneously throughout the area. Chard is categorized as a sweet herb, along with nettle and borage, and it is opposed to bitter herbs such as dandelion and chicory. It is a perfect example of the Italian art of making do with what you have and what the season offers in abundance at a certain moment. It might sound of pudding, I know, but once you get past the green filling, which may immediately remind you of savory preparation, you'll be surprised by a delicate sweet spice cake. The predominant flavors are those of pine nuts and raisins, they are typical of Italian and Tuscan desserts, candied citron or orange peel, and a waft of cinnamon and nutmeg. The Swiss chard in this case creates a moist, creamy texture once it is mixed with soaked milk breadcrumbs and leaves just a faint herbal note. And here we are, after the connection with seasonality and the strong relationship with Cucina Povera, we are to the third aspect that really characterizes the Tuscan pastry art, and it is the lasting influence of medieval and Renaissance ingredients, methods and recipes. And we should really start with Alkermes. It is a crimson Renaissance liquor, a favorite of the Medici family, the Tuscan elixir for long life, a pick-me-up for fragile women. When you open a bottle and inhale, you will recognize cardamom, coriander, um, maize, orange peel, star anise, and vanilla, 
and a subtle rose aroma. This bright crimson liquor is still made today by the Santa Maria Novella Farmas in Florence with the same recipe created in 1743, along with many artisanal and refined liquors. Alkermes is infused with spices, with thyme and tradition, and a handful of dried insects, cochineals, which give it its characteristic color and also its name. It is an old-fashioned liquor used to flavor and soak many Tuscan desserts, from zuppa inglese to pesche di prato. There are brioche buns brushed with alkermes and sprinkled with sugar, as to resemble real peaches. In my family, our traditional birthday cake is a sponge cake brushed with alkermes and filled with custard and chocolate. And my grandma would even add a few drops of this liquor to the icing to obtain a pinkish glaze and a subtle spice aroma, which was perfect for a little girl. And then we use alkermes to make rotolino, which is a sponge roll. It's brushed with alkermes and filled with ricotta, with chestnut jam, um, or even with custard, pastry cream and chocolate, or whipped cream and jam, so with whatever you want as a filling. Zuppa inglese literally means English soup. But is this dessert really from England? Uh, no, it was probably influenced by the trifle. There are many possible explanations, but I like one more than the others, and it's probably a legend. But anyway, it tells really a lot about the propensity of Tuscan people for using leftovers in a creative way, turning them into another delicious treat. So this story wants the Zuppa Inglese to be born in the mid-19th century in the hills of Fiesole, over Florence, where the Tuscan maid of a healthy English family put together leftovers, biscuits, a chocolate pudding and a custard from their afternoon tea to create a hearty dessert. It is just like making a soup, isn't it? You take the leftovers, you put them all together and you create a delicious new dish. And the key ingredient of a traditional Zuppa Inglese is Alkermes. If you make zuppa inglese in a transparent bowl, something I really recommend to do, you will see a colorful stack of layers. Yellow vanilla custard, a dark chocolate custard, and then pinkish savoyardi, the lady fingers, dunked in alkermes. There is another traditional semifreddo dessert from the city of Florence that has alkermes among its ingredients, and it is zucotto. It is a showstopper, a sponge cake dome brushed crimson with alkermes and filled with a mixture of ricotta and whipped cream, chocolate and candied fruits. Zucotto's origins are related to one of the most inspiring and influential women of the 16th century, Caterina de' Medici, a woman belonging to the most important family of Florence, who later became Queen of France. Though the line between legend and true history is blurred, with national pride perhaps influencing the story, it seems that the French culinary tradition owes to Caterina de' Medici the introduction of gelato, sorbets, zabaione, crepes, canard al orange, onion soup and even forks. Zucotto appeared for the first time at Caterina de' Medici's court during a banquet held for notable Spanish guests. The Tuscan cookbook author Giovanni Righi Parenti writes in his book La Cucina Toscana that the Zucotto was likely created by Bernardo Buontalenti. So Bernardo Buontalenti was one of the most celebrated artists of the times. He was an architect and he was also the inventor of the Florentine Ghiacciaia, that is the highest houses, and therefore he was also considered the inventor of gelato. 
Sensei de Buontalenti named the dessert Elmo di Caterina, or Caterina's Helmet, as its shape resembled an infantry helmet of that time, and this infantry helmet was known as Zucotto. Others think that the dessert's name is derived instead from the crimson liquor from Alkermes that was used to brush its surface, which makes it resemble a cardinal's red cap, or zucchetto. And here we are to the last four recipes I want to mention. Recipes I always bake for Christmas. And that's the reason of this special Christmas episode dedicated to Tuscan sweets and desserts. So these four recipes are First of all, cantucci. Cantucci, of course, are not related just to Christmas. They are baked throughout the year, but I like to bake them for Christmas as a gift that is very easy to make, durable, and appreciated by everyone. Then we have cavallucci and ricciarelli, two very typical local Christmas cookies um, of Siena. And then to finish, Panforte, which is probably the emblem, the most representative dessert of the Sinese Christmas. But let's have a look at these four recipes and let's start with Cantucci. The Cantuccini Toscani are a typical Tuscan almond biscotto, biscuits. They are well known and appreciated all over the world. They can be enjoyed alone, served with coffee or tea or, according to tradition, dipped in a licorice wine such as Vinsanto. The origin of the Cantuccini date back to at least the 16th century and the name seems to come from cantellus the latin for piece or slice of bread a salt cracker which roman soldiers ate on their military campaigns it was an aniseed flavored bread tossed twice in the oven for conservative purposes the cantuccini became sweet during the 14th century during the sugar boom that happened in tuscany that was at the center of the main trade and spice roads when sugar was used especially in bakery products. And of course, the cantuccini were one of the most favorite sweet recipes of the Medici family. And now to the Sinise sweet treats of Christmas. Unlike Sicily and Naples, Tuscany is not a region known for its dessert traditions. Siena, though, is an exception, especially at Christmas time. The aroma of spices, cinnamon, maize, nutmeg, pepper permeates the town throughout the year and Christmas season sees the arrival of Panforti, Cavallucci and Ricciarelli. Cavallucci are one of the most traditional Christmas cookies in Siena. They are not elegant or photogenic. They lack the bright colors, the icing, the sugar sprinkling that we expect from a Christmas cookie. Cavallucci don't come in Christmas shapes, but they are round and rustic and pressed at the ends. And yet, despite their humble appearance, they're flowery and a bit lumpy, with their first bite of warm spices, the rich nuttiness and the sweet candied fruit, you'll forget all about the presentation. Then there are the ricciarelli. They are more elegant, they have a melt-in-your-mouth texture, they are white, shaped almost like an almond, and they are gluten-free because they are made with egg whites, almond flour, sugar, they have the bitter almond aroma, vanilla, and orange zest. When I was a kid, we used to buy ricciarelli at the supermarket. Then I started making them, and since that moment, you cannot come back. 
you, you make the ricciarelli, the recipe is easy, you can find the recipe on the blog, and they are just perfect. A bite of ricciarelli, and it's like being in Siena at Christmas time. So if you have time, and if you want to try a Tuscan uh, sweet treat for Christmas, please try the ricciarelli. The recipe for ricciarelli is medieval. They were born in convents and apothecaries. But now you can still find ricciarelli in every prestige shop, in every bakery in Siena. Everyone has its favorite place where to buy ricciarelli. And I have my favorite place as well where to buy them in Siena. But as I've told you, I love to make them as I love them when they are fresh. And now, panforte. This unique bread dates to the medieval ages and it was first made in monasteries to give on special occasions. It was a present to nuns from servants, it was used in sumptuous banquets given by rich lords in every part of Italy and also abroad. And it is now, still now, one of the most appreciated desserts in Siena for Christmas. It is made with honey, with Almonds, I like to add hazelnuts as well, with candied orange peel, candied citron peel and spices. There's a mixture of spices, which is a secret mixture. Uh, you can buy these spices in one of the most ancient and traditional shops in Siena, Manganelli. And there you can buy spices for white panforte and black panforte. The, the original one is the black panforte. It has a dense, dark, very intense spice flavor and then you have the white panforte which was more modern it was invented in 1879 for the queen margherita of savoia that was visiting siena it has less spices and icing sugar on top but i like i prefer to choose the dark spices because i really like the intense aroma they give to panforte Panforte, again, has a very simple recipe once you have all the ingredients. I have the recipe on the blog. Every year I like to bake my panforte and then I have a little wedge of panforte after dinner during Christmas time. It's a meditative dessert, uh, something I really uh, would love you to try because it's like traveling back in time and traveling to Siena during Christmas time. This is the end of today's special Christmas episode of our podcast cooking with an Italian accent. It was our way to bring you to Tuscany with us at Christmas time to have a taste of a Tuscan Christmas. If you love this episode, share it with your friends and on social media using the hashtag cooking with an Italian accent and tagging Jules Kitchen. If you have questions about Italian and Tuscan cooking, just email me at jules at juleskitchen.com or join our Facebook group, Cooking with Jules Kitchen. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to a podcast and share it with your friends. You will find all the links to the recipes we mentioned today in this episode's show notes. Don't forget to visit juleskitchen.com for new stories and recipes from Tuscany. And now, Buon Natale from me and Tommaso. Ciao!